Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Bros Pod is, of course, brought to you by BetOnline. Our partners at BetOnline continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest sports developments, including updated odds on your NBA and NHL playoffs, Major League Baseball, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting in your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's easy to get started, so head to the website today and use your mobile device to join and use our promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to another version of Bill Roden on Sports, Rose Pod. I'm here uh, in an undisclosed location, upstate New York. Uh, we got a great show, great guest, a longtime friend. Um, I don't know if he remembers this, man. We met, you know, well, I, I, won't, I won't say your name. I want it to be a surprise, man. We, we go all the way back to like 1975, I think, when I was working at Ebony Magazine. And I think uh, the first, and, and in fact, I remember asking him, I was getting ready to give my first listening set, jazz listening set. And I asked, well, I asked this particular brother, hey, man, listen, do uh, you have any suggestions? Because he was in the jazz. Say, hey, man, do you have any suggestions? So he said, yeah, man, go on. There's an album by Eddie Harris called Cool Sax, Cool Sax Warm Heart. Yes, sir. <laughs> and so I, I, went out, I went out and got it. And it's still one of the value pieces of my collection. Uh, cool, you read "Cool Sax, Warm Heart" by Eddie Harris. Uh, but uh, listen, listen, let me first throw it to my to my friend and co-host, the great Jamal Murphy, who's holding it down in Brooklyn. Murph, what's happening? What's up, Bill? Like you said, this is a very very special podcast. Uh, like you said, we got a great guest. Let me introduce him quickly, even though he has you know his accolades are long. Our guest today is the great Spencer Haywood. A 14-year professional career, professional basketball career, Hall of Famer, a four-time NBA All-Star, three-time All-NBA, ABA MVP, gold medalist in 68, uh, uh, obviously an NBA champion in 1980 with the Lakers. We'll get to that later. Uh, he's a career 20-10 and 10 guy, uh, so there's not too many of those. Maybe his biggest contribution to the game, though, was, was uh, taking the NBA to the Supreme Court and ending the rule that said players could not be drafted until their college class graduated. Obviously, that had long-term ramifications. He has a book out, The Spencer Haywood Rule, uh, written by Mark Spears and Gary Washburn. So that's a lot. But Spencer Haywood, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Uh... Hey, hey, Spencer, uh, before we start interviewing, you ask you questions. You know, you've heard today of the news that the great Bob Lanier passed. Uh, and I know you knew him well. I just want to uh, just uh, what what did what did Bob uh, mean to you, and and just your thoughts um, about his passing, what he meant to you as a friend, what he meant to the league and basketball. Well, my first meeting with Bob was at the University of Detroit, uh, 1968, 
uh, we were playing St. Bonaventure. Uh, St. Bonnie was, I think, number seventh in the nation, and we were number 10 in the nation. And Big Bob came into Callahan Hall at the University of Detroit, and it was a showdown between big guys. And I wasn't as big as Bob, but it was, you know, a big showdown in Motown. And uh, we played and played, and, you know, I got the win, but Bob Lanier fell in, the city of Detroit fell in love with him. And right after that, uh, when it came time to draft, they drafted Bob Lanier and brought him to Detroit. And who worked with Bob Lanier was the great Will Robinson. Will Robinson, yeah. who adopted me and raised me. So that's, that's Bob Lanier's like family. So that's yeah. my Bob Lanier story. And uh, I think it was in 1973, they had an all-star game in Seattle. And Bob and I was on the same team. We balled out that, that particular all-star game. I came in second to his uh, MVP. It was a long voting contest, but uh, Bob won. And uh, Bob was also the kind of man who helped set up uh, NBA Care. All of those programs you see today, NBA Care, NBA Loves or Love or whatever it is, is Bob Lanier's. Uh, that was his baby. And uh, it's just so awesome to to uh, talk a little bit about Bob, but it's sad because he's no longer here. I know he's been str he has been struggling with health issues, uh, living out there in Scottsdale because I play out there a lot, play golf out there with different events with Jerry Colangelo and all of the people out there. And I wanted to go see him, but I didn't want to go see him if he didn't want to be seen at that time. So uh, I miss him. I miss him already. Yeah. Yeah. It's always, you know, I wonder, you know, as I was telling Jamal, I said, man, yeah, I was thinking, because we've known each other so long, I was, I was thinking Spencer was like five or six years older than me. And then I looked at the birds and we only separated about a year. I was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> like, and I don't know if you have the same feeling, man, that, you know, as you get older, I'm thinking when I was like, you know, we were 21, 22, the idea of being 70 was like, it didn't even exist. Like, what what does that what does seventy even mean? Oh, and I'm wondering uh, how do you 70. feel? How unbelievable is it now? I mean, you look at how old you are, everything you've accomplished, and it it, it is sometimes unreal to just like <laughs> think of how old you are. But versus you look at the mirror and you still look at yourself as like this 35, 40 year old guy. Yeah. Well. At that time, you know, I, I seemed a lot older because going through to the Supreme Court put some age on me, really put some age on me. And it also, um, most people don't know it, but, you know, going through that fight, it also, I think I, I, I came out of that with post-traumatic stress, PTSD, because later on, I found out that, that, I, that I was deep into it. I, I, I mean, there's a lot of contributing factors, but uh, uh, that's, that was the journey. And it didn't, uh, you know, the other gentleman that was at the at court similar to my time was Kurt Flood. And right. Kurt, yeah. when he finished with his case, 
they wouldn't give him his case. They waited one more year and gave it to Andy Musselsmith. Who is Andy Musselsmith? Right. But anyway, and Kirk yeah. could not uh, stay in America. He ended up going to live on the islands and... Um, Mallorca. Mallorca. And when he came back, they were introducing him to these great players, A-Rod and all. I don't know who all it was, but they had no idea who he was, what he had done for them. And he just shortly after that, he passed away of a broken heart. So I was in that category because of the fact that, you know, uh, the NBA players don't know who I am. Uh, the NBA have sought to hide what I've done by calling it not as Haywood versus the NBA. And you don't have to do that, but it should be the Spencer Haywood rule. But they have always called it, uh, what it was original, it was the hardship rule. Secondly, it was the uh, early entry rule. Third, it was the one and done rule. And it has never related to the person who put the fight up. And, right. and so that has been uh, one of my latest battles. And thus, that's why the name of the book with Mark Spears and Gary Washburn is the Spencer Haywood Rule. And my podcast is the Spencer Haywood Rule podcast. I'm trying to get players to understand and and you know look at what i did you know because that ruling in itself opened up the doors so players can make over 33 billion dollars in players salary and by that let me give you an example a guy like lebron james he missed four years of college went four years into the nba 50 million that's 200 million dollars on his on his on his plan on his salary as well as all of the records he's breaking, uh, he has four years to break those records. Same thing with Kobe, same thing with Kevin Garnett, the same thing with going on into Michael Jordan, LeBron James, all Magic Johnson, all of them. They have this, they have three years or four years on their legs to play. And also they have, uh, they're making money for that for that period so it's a it's a big big thing but it's being taken so lightly and so one of the things that happened with winning time was that uh, I was out for Kareem's 75th birthday in LA at the Lakers mm -hmm. and we were like <clears throat> just walking through the hall getting ready to go out on the floor <clears throat> and then uh, LeBron and those guys came running up to me, and I'm looking, why y'all jumping on me? It's Kareem's birthday. And it was like, hey, Spence, thank you, man, for what you did for my family and I. And then the other players started walking up and, and expressing it. And then I go out on the floor, and we got Herbie Hancock, we got Kareem, and everybody getting ready to do the ceremony. And then the Oklahoma City players came up and was like, Spencer, thank you, thank you, thank you, man. You, you know, awesome. So I'm just standing there and I'm like, so I decided, hey guys, what's, what, what has changed? And they said, winning time. Huh. The HBO, yeah. <laughs> the HBO series winning time. And everybody mm. I was with was like, 
I don't want to hear that thing. I don't want to hear the word winning time. <laughs> so Kareem, Magic, and, <laughs> and that's the wrong place to say it, right? In, yeah. In, in, in LA. Kareem, man, they making you look like you're the man. Right. Oh, well, I haven't seen it. I'm like, see, that's what I'm talking about, big fella. You guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But Make yeah, that's so funny. That, there's so much to unpack there, man. But I, I mean, but in, in some ways, Spencer, there's so much to unpack. I do want to talk about winning time, but uh, which I, I was just looking at this morning because Jamal was kept telling me, Jamal kept telling me, man, you got to watch winning time. Said, man, I'm not going to watch that. I, I live through that. I'm not going to watch that. And then, before, <laughs> okay, Kareem. <laughs> I know. Well, you know what? Then exactly, I watched the first. Exactly. Then I watched. Then I watched the first thing, and I was hooked. I said, "Damn, man, this shit." Was, See that? You know. See my point. My point is well. Thank you, Jamal. <laughs> well, Jamal, man, you got to You can't keep your. You can't keep your. Yeah, I guess as you get older, sometimes man, there's a thing that you want to. You know, you just don't want to deal with that shit. You put your head yeah. in the sand. Exactly. And this is like 2022, and it's just like um. The Bulls thing, the last dance. There were yeah. a lot of young people who didn't even know any of that shit, and they watched it, and they had a whole – but let me ask you this question. What's the difference in your mind between the last dance and winning time? Winning time is a docudrama, and it features great actors. And the actor that played me, Wood Harris, is killing it. He killed it. He knocked it out of the park. Uh, he was just fabulous. And I look at the young man that's played, playing Kareem, and because the series has been picked up for the second season, Solomon, he's, he's killing it as well. The young man that's playing Magic, he's knocking it out of the park. So it's just, I'll tell you, and the guy that's playing Jerry West, I'm like, oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> But I saw I saw I saw you say somewhere else that you felt like, you know, because that a lot of people, a lot of people lost like a lot and white people in particular, I noticed a lot a lot of them lost it the way that uh Jerry West was being portrayed. And uh I saw you say somewhere, well, you know, um it, it looks it looks pretty on point to me. So you you feel like they did a decent job? Yeah, well, you know, Jerry West and Bill, you know the deal. Jerry West is intense. Jerry West, uh, never, it never sat right with Jerry that they lost to the Celtics seven times in the finals. I mean, it's just, it's Jerry West. That's why he is a champion. That's why he is on the logo. <laughs> he is the logo. Right. <laughs> and, and Jerry came out of West Virginia or someplace out of there, just like I did coming out of uh, the South. Uh, you know, both of us coming out of the South, but, you know, with chips on our shoulders. I mean, and and Jerry also suffered, uh, still mm. suffering from PTSD. You know, mm. we had issues, man, because the way we were brought up and it wasn't wrong, but it was not right. Yeah. And so so to see Jerry like that on film, it's a little a little shaking a little bit, but. I know Jerry, Jerry, Jerry is seriously intense and, uh, you know, it's movie making. Movie making is you have to embellish. Now, you know, my character was very well embellished, but I'm not I'm not going to knock the movie because it's a black man who wrote, wrote and did a lot of the uh, production on it. Mm -hmm. uh, Rodney Burns. So 
we have to now look at like, wait a minute, let's look at the final product. I have yet to see why I can see Jerry being a little peed off because the way they betrayed him, betraying him. But but Jerry West, the one went down to Golden State, won a championship as a manager, won championship with the Lakers management, one now getting ready to try to win another one with the Clippers. I mean, isn't his career awesome and, and life is good? He has um, went through his trials and tribulation, come out on the other side, a better man. He buried his dear friend and, and you know, like his buddy, buddy, dog buddy, uh, Elgin Baylor this year. Uh, you know, he and Oscar have that, 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 that great relationship because they go back to the Olympics and stuff like that. So, I just dwell upon the good <clears throat> because, you know, God put me in this place. And if I start stride to go into the bad, I feel bad. I feel not whole. So I, I, I like the series. I, I've watched it from, from the beginning to the end. And uh, I, I don't know what Kareem is mad about. <laughs> well, if, if I was Kareem, I mean, because like you were saying, Spencer, you know, particularly – like we're around all the same age, and mm -hmm. you know people, and like you're saying, where there's smoke, there's fire, you know. No. And, <laughs> you know, and Kareem couldn't, in all honesty, you know, he couldn't. He said they may not be in the right, the right pew, but they're in the right, they're they're in the right church. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I mean, Kareem, Kareem ends up saving me. Uh, he ends up. Um, all of the Muslims and all across the world, it's like enlightened by his character that, that, that the gentleman Solomon is playing. Man, he is Kareem. He, he's, do, he's coming out with all of the roses, you know? And, and I told him so, man. I'm like, man, you got to watch it, big fella. Come on. I mean, you're yeah. the hero of this thing. And not only that, but they get a chance to see you behave but i think maybe one thing that upset him is when he said something about a kid or something uh oh, in yeah. the first episode but that's Get not, lost or something like that yeah, yeah. That, that's not kareem man come on kareem yeah. is this wonderful great play person and player and a great human being so you know kareem and i go back to when i was going through the supreme going through the supreme court case when all of the players on each team jamal would not would not come up and let me play against them for a while. They would like stay in the locker room because the owners had told them if this young guy win this case, you old guys are, are going to be put out into mm. pasture. So, so Kareem, they used to say, all right, ladies and gentlemen, we have Spencer Hayward in the building and he's an illegal player, even though I just won the case at the Supreme court. And, Milwaukee took their team down and in, in back into the locker room and Kareem didn't go. He said, come on, man, I'm embrace, I'm going to embrace Wood. Come on, man, let's play. And so that opened up the door for me, for, for the union players. And I'm talking about the greats of greats to say, all right, let's forget about this, man. This young boy didn't earn his way here. Let's, let's play against him. And that was the breaking point for him and for me. Let me ask you this, Spencer. I, I want to hell again, man. There's so much to talk about. Um, much of what you cover on your uh, 
your own podcast and in mm. other interviews. But I just want to get back to um, the different. I asked you the difference between your and this, and 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 as, and I remember the first time I thought about. I, I, I went to uh, when Muhammad Ali's museum first start first opened, and I walked through it, and the light went off. I said, you know, every motherfucker, every Everybody should have their own museum. In other words, you should tell your own story. Story. It's the only way the story is going to be told is when you tell your story. So I'm thinking of the Jordan, no matter what you think about it, he said, you know what? This is my fucking story. This is my perspective. I'm going to put in what I want to put in. I'm going to leave out what I want to leave out. I'm not going to leave it to HBO or ESPN or anybody to do a docudrama. I'm going to do my own story. Whether you like it or not, this is mine. So I guess that's what I was asking you. When you do the docudrama, yeah. now you've got this. Here's how we're going to interpret Spencer. Here's how we're going to interpret Kareem. Here, right. As opposed, you say, you know what? No. No. Here's how I'm going to interpret myself. Well, you have to be in charge of your history. You cannot allow someone else to embellish your history and take it some other place. Now, right. <laughs> my story was with, with, with The Last Dance. I loved it. I love The Last Dance with Michael Jordan. I love what he did with it. I mean, he drank a lot of that brown whiskey. <laughs> but, but other than that one, that was my Negro. I was like, woo-wee, this is good, good. And, mm-hmm. and so uh, Kareem did a documentary, uh, I think it was like in 15, and on he, the shoulders of giants. Yeah, he, he he brought it. He brought that back out, but then it was late. Uh, Magic is doing his documentary that's out now, but it, it's late. I did a documentary, right? And my guy held mine into in the vault and won't do it. And said, "I'm gonna stop you from doing any other documentary on your own self." I'm like, right. <laughs> right. And that was, you know, again, there wasn't no brother doing that. That was a white person doing it. So I'm yeah. like, woo-wee, critical race theory in practice. Yeah. <laughs> Live. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah I mean. So, so uh, fortunately, you know, maybe this is going to work out. Uh, LeBron's company is looking at my, doing the, the, the complete story of Spencer Haywood. So we shall see. Everybody mm-hmm. talk. And it's that song, uh, everybody's talking about me, nobody cools of my mind. That's right. The guy that sing that, come on, Bill. Yeah, no, I don't know. Uh, everybody's talking about, uh, is it uh, who? Oh man, it's Campbell, Campbell. Oh, uh, 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 what's the name, Campbell? Uh, yeah, Glenn Campbell. Glenn Campbell, yeah, Glenn Campbell. <laughs> then there's the other one. There's the other one with Sonny Boy Williamson that everybody's talking, but nobody knows. Nobody knows. <laughs> well, you don't know nothing about no Sonny Boy Williamson. You're going to mess oh, up you Jamal, me. man. You don't know about that. Oh, man, Sonny Boy oh. Williamson. Come on, man. We can have a whole segment on Sonny Boy <laughs> Sonny <Williamson>. Boy. <laughs> Mississippi Bound. I got I got to go Google it, okay? And what about right. this one? What about who, who, who knows this one? Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody, nobody wants to wants die. To die. <laughs> everybody oh. wants to go to heaven, but nobody, nobody wants, wants to die. Power. 
that's Bob Marley. Uh, if you want to listen to uh, the Rio, <laughs> but there's a lot well, of that people who saying that as well. Right. Was well, actually Albert King. Albert King did the version. But remember the thing in that song that got me, and, may, and this kind of gets into what I want to ask you. He said, "My mama told me a story about a little dog who couldn't see too well. You know, the the, the dog crossed the railroad tracks." and the train cut off a piece of his tail. The little dog looked, turned around, looked up, just to peep over the rail, and you know that he lost his whole head trying to find a little piece of his tail. <laughs> and I thought about I heard that, and it's, and it's kind of the thing I wanted to ask you, because the, the parable of that was sometimes you could look back, you know, the past, and lose your head. And, and I guess I want to ask you, you were talking that about That is you. a deep state statement. You can look back for your little piece of a tail. Yeah. The train hit your head. Because <laughs> he lost his whole head trying to find a little piece of his tail. Beautiful. <laughs> but what, beautiful. But what, beautiful. Yeah. But I, I remember I heard that when I was about 19, 20 years old, and it didn't hit me till as you get older. And, and even now, there's a temptation to look at the past as opposed to look forward at the future and maybe the older you get you thinking you don't have that much future left but it's still better to look forward better to look forward than look back that look back that's your, but let me ask you this though you mentioned kurt flood and i'm a big crusader for kurt flood just like we tr crusade to try to get the spencer Hay Hay haywood uh rule change yeah. i always want to get kurt flood in the hall of fame but in each of your cases when you piss off the establishment it's almost like they say never, never, never. never I never. was on the never list. Remember, I waited right. for 27 years. Right, right. To get into the hall. And right. never, never, never. But I persevered. I stayed alive. It's, it's the most yep. important thing. I, I'm, I'm here. And so they just kept seeing me. They kept seeing, oh, this is a good person. This is a righteous person. Let's, let, well, you know, why don't we do this? Why don't we right. do this right thing? And then Charles Barkley went on national television and said the, the hall would not be complete unless it has unless it has Spencer Haywood in it. And that's when the, the water, the water, the dam broke. And the next right. year I was in. 2015. And, and you probably need the same thing in terms of the Spencer Haywood rule. You need the same type. I need of somebody like Charles or somebody to say enough is enough guys right. we we need our history we charles charles came in under my rule as well i need somebody to yeah. say enough we need our history we can't like hide this history it's no big deal we have the oscar robinson rule we have the larry bird rule which is a fictitious rule that's me i'm like andy <coughs> musselsmith uh kurt flood and andy musselsmith but kurt right. flood won the case but they gave it to andy musselsmith so they said, we're not gonna let this black guy beat us. We're gonna, no, we're gonna wait. it's gonna same thing with me. They're gonna end up giving it to Larry Bird because it right. is the Larry Bird rule. Ain't that a crazy right. shit? And he came right. in under my rule, right? Well, you know, and I, I want to ask you about that later in our conversation, but just to, to wrap up this point though, I want to ask you what was you know, you mentioned Kurt Flood passed when he was like a young kid, he was like, like 50 something. But what was the source of your strength? In other words, um. You know, you went through the same rigors before there was mental health and all that. You went through all this stuff. You went through, like you said to Kareem, that you were, you know, there's a darkness, that, but you persevered. What was the source of your strength? 
what allowed you to, you're 73 years old now, what allowed you to go through what you went through and to persevere and to come out on this side where you're still here, you're vibrant, you know, you've lived long enough to let the story come back with winning time, <laughs> you know, to come back around. <laughs> yeah. so, so what was the source of your strength? Uh, you know, we, we mourn Kurt Flood's passing because the pressure was just too, too much. But what was the source of your strength? Well, the source of my strength was that I was born in Silver City, Mississippi, where I have seen hate, abuse, murders, rape. I lived that life. My mother was raped by the big man in the big White House because I worked in the fields and we were field hands, was raped by that man at the age of 11 and got pregnant and had a daughter. We could not talk about that until we got out of the South because otherwise we like, we are life and death is done. And my mother was like embedded into the gospel. The church was like what we had and what we lived through and how you can survive everything. And I had that and also, uh, being married to Iman, she's from the model. She was from Somalia. So she yeah. had Islam, uh, the Muslim background. So I learned to understand and learn to pray. But the most important thing she hooked me up with when I was going through, uh, once I had the Laker fall, is she, not enforced me, but she kind of like forced me <laughs> to go get mental health and go see a psychiatrist. And the first thing I was, I was yelling and screaming about, you know, about why do I have to go? You need to go. Uh, why don't you send the Lakers? Why don't you send Kareem and, <laughs> and the Lakers? I don't want to go to them. What the heck are you talking about? I'm not crazy now. I may be crazy, but I ain't no fool. And <laughs> <laughs> so I went in there and I'm like sitting and I'm talking to this brother. He's a, you know, brother psychiatrist, and we like talking, and I'm like, oh man, this is pretty good. So yeah. I, I started that cycle of like, they were going and being repetition and repetition. And then because I was going through, uh, uh, you know, like recovery from substance abuse, from cocaine, I was going through my 12 step meeting, and all of this stuff. I could like drop it on the table and get out and like, whoa, I can go play tennis. I can go do golf. <laughs> so I was, I have, a, I have a regiment, you know, that I've been doing now. This is like 34 years of this regiment of like doing these things, getting up in the morning, cleaning up my floor, putting my rug down, making my prayer. And I don't like just pray to just Allah. I pray to Jesus. I pray to everybody. I'm like, give me some help get me through this next day and so my kids my daughters saw me doing all of this growing up and now I have a psychiatrist in my family <laughs> She's oh, wow. worked, she works for the NBA PA mm. the Players Association so she's one of the ones on not on she's on call for for any player that wanted that needs help in this family uh my youngest daughter is there in New York as well. She's with public.com. Uh, my, my next daughter, uh, she's a professor at Lincoln University in Philadelphia, traditional black college. 
And of course, Zuleika, my oldest daughter, she does her own thing with Iman Inc. and also married. And I have two grandsons and one granddaughter. And my life has been a blessing because if I hadn't went through all of this, I would not be the person that I am today. And so when I speak to young players or to people and churches or wherever, my story comes out of me with joy and with peace because I don't have nothing to hide. I'm not, I feel great. And I learned from Kurt Flood and Muhammad Ali, the gentleman before me who went to the Supreme Court. And I said, I'm going to be a vegan. I'll eat food. I'll do whatever. <laughs> Jamal, I'm going to stay here until they give me my stuff. <laughs> and if great. the good Lord pulled me out before then, I'm all right. But I thought this year would be the year that the players, the young players like uh, LeBron and all of them would say, enough is enough. Let's just give him, put his name, put some respect on Spencer's name and name the rule of the Spencer Hayward rule. That's yeah. all I ever wanted. You talked about, I mean, I, you know, I want to get into, you know, why, why it's important to you to have, to have your name attached to that. But I mean, you've already kind of described, you know, having PTSD based on the experience. Talk to me about, you know, what caused that PTSD? Because we, we kind of just glossed over what you what you actually had to go through because of, you know, because you took that stance. So mm. what, it, what what originally, you know, you know, had you, made you take that stance and how how did it, what transpired differ from what you expected would happen? Well, what happened was I was this Olympic hero from night from the 1968. And I don't want to gloss over that because. The 68 Olympic was monumental for America and American sports and culture. I decided to go to the, I didn't decide to go to the, the Olympics. The Olympics decided that I would go to the Olympics. And mm. so I went down to the Olympic trials to just get me some uniforms and so I can go back to Detroit and show to my boys. I got, I tried out with the Olympic team. I look at my gear. You can't buy this, bro. This is this is proud gear. So, so I went down there at the age of 19. And I got there at the age of 18. I got down there at 19. So they have all of these great players in the gym and everybody's playing and balling and Pistol Pete and Maravich, uh Bob Lanier, you name them all, they were there. And here I come in, a freshman from junior college, and they were like, oh, God, they're letting anybody try out this year. <laughs> <laughs> because Kareem had boycotted the 68 Olympics, so did Wes Unsell, Elvin Hayes, because they signed their pro contract. So I'm, in, I'm just playing, man. We're balling out in there with my team, the junior college team, and it came time for them to draft this team for the 68 Olympics. And I'm just Standing in with the group of athletes, you know, hey, man, I know one thing. I got some nice gear, man. Look at this bag. And they're like, all right, the first player pick Spencer Haywood. I was, oh. <laughs> oh, Lord, what am I going to do? <laughs> and the next thing that came out with the big drama was, we're going to need your birth certificates. We need all the birth certificates put into the box. And we're going to be getting nervous to travel to Russia, Yugoslavia, and so on and so forth. And I was like, uh-oh, I don't have a birth certificate. Because hmm. I had an affidavit when I signed to go into the public school in Detroit. And all of a sudden, 
we got to call my mom. She called my mom and said, where's the birth certificate? She said, baby, I got the boy's birth certificate right here in my Bible written under John 21. <laughs> <laughs> and Charlie Scott, Jojo White, and all, what, where are you from? What kind of Negro are you, man? You don't even have a birth certificate. You must have lived in the backwoods. I said, I did. <laughs> 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 so, so they sent they sent the camera down and took a picture of the birth certificate and I had a birth certificate so went on into Russia Yugoslavia came back and scrimmaged the Knicks and Cincinnati and while we were scrimmaging those two guys Willis Reed is telling us yeah you guys going to be all right you're going to win something you might not win gold but you will win because this was the year that we were picked to lose and then we played Oscar Robinson Oscar said. You're going to be all right, young boy. You're going to do right. You're going to do good down there. Because I'm a former Olympian. I was like, yes, I got the okay from the big O. The big O. <laughs> so, so we get down to Albuquerque. I mean, we get down to Mexico City. We, we're like cruising in on the bus and getting ready to set up. Here's this big old Negro boy. Well, I won't be saying it. Big black man coming across. Yeah, man. I, I'm here to whoop some Russians. And I was like, who is this big old brother, man? He should be playing football. No, that's George Foreman, man. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Cool, cool. Hey, George, what's up, bud? <laughs> and then here this other dude, man, he's talking, hey, man, I think I'm going to jump over the pit. And I was like, who is this guy? Oh, that's Bob Beeman, man. He claims he's going to jump over the pit and set a record. Okay, he Bob, did. cool as the coolest, you know, be whatever. And then these two dudes was like, and everybody's like, don't, don't talk to them guys now. They, they are militants. And I was like, oh, no, not me. I'm from Mississippi. I don't want to talk to no militant. <laughs> so then they, they introduced themselves. Hey, I'm Tommy Smith and John Carlos. We were like, yeah, man, I know about you guys. Because they had had meetings with... Uh, and the press release that we had for the Olympics were like, you know, they had met with Martin Luther King, John Carlos had met with Martin Luther King, Jackie Robinson, and all of the you know great black dignitaries. And they had suggested that we all go to the Olympics and make a statement there, but not make a statement. And so we all got together and they were trying to make sure that we didn't get out of hand at the 68 Olympics. So. They brought in Wilma Rudolph. She spoke to us. She's a great athlete and great Olympic gold medalist. And the next one they brought in was Jesse Owens. And Jesse was speaking to us. I'm not glossing over Jesse Owens, but Jesse Owens won it in 1936, Bill. Right. Yeah. yeah. 1936, so, Berlin. Yeah. So Jesse was talking and John Carlos, he was talking about, well, you know, when you guys do good down here, you're going to be able to get jobs when you get back. And John said, sir, sir, we can't get no jobs. Our people are struggling back home. What are you talking about? And Jesse turned, oh, wait a minute here. You know, who, do you know who I ran? I ran in the 36 Olympics and I had Hitler in the stand. We were like, whoa, <laughs> okay. You got the age man in here. So we all right now. So we everybody started lacing up and you know, sitting high up in the chair, like, yeah, okay, we good, we good. 
And so that's how the Olympics started. And, and it ended with uh, Tommy Smith and John Carlos doing a salute for black people back home because we were being oppressed and everything. So it was just a statement. And lo and behold, Avery Brundage kicked them out of the Olympic Village and threatened to take their passports so they would be stuck in Mexico City. It was just a brutal act. And then later on, we find out that Avery Brundage was the friend of Hitler's. Yeah. 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 So that was my journey in the Olympics, man. It was just a, an awesome time. So here I am now. We have won the gold medal, and I'm getting ready to walk on the stand, standing on the stand. They're getting ready to put it on my neck. And when they put the gold medal on my neck, they were talking about how many records I set and all of that stuff. But the one thing that I thought about, Bill, was I was sitting there saying, Three to four years ago, I was a slave in Mississippi, picking cotton for $2 a day. And now here I am just boiling over with tears at this gold medal around my neck as an American hero. Now, that's another side of America that we sometimes don't talk about how fast you can rise in this country because it has a history. So we don't want to like brush over the history, but that was a true American story there. Yeah, yeah. Let, let me ask you this, Mister. Uh, you know, you talked about, um, you know, today the big thing is mental health among athletes. You know, I mean, mental. Oh, it know, is. Simone, Simone Biles, and uh, you know the tennis. You know, and even ben, within ben the Simmons, ben Simmons, yeah, ben uh, Simmons, and all that. And Kyrie I know. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Kyrie, you know, and I guess um, I just want you to. Do you think it would have helped you? In other words, you said something. I thought when the black community, certainly the way I felt, if anybody ever said therapy, oh, you're like, hey, what? Hey. I, what? Yeah, I ain't Bill. crazy. I'm not, you know. If, if, uh, if you say therapy, you crazy? Yeah. yeah <laughs> what's wrong with you? Nigga, nigga is you crazy? <laughs> right. I don't need therapy. You know, you, your response was, I think, a lot of black folks had the same response. You know, but if there's the irony that if there's anybody who needed therapy is us. It's us. <laughs> it is us. It's us. So it's us. my question is, when you see, do you think that had had there been this openness to therapy back in 1969, you know, when you went to your thing, do you think that would have helped you um, had you embraced it? God, I wouldn't have never I wouldn't have never used cocaine. Mm. because I was looking for something outside of myself. I would have been, uh, you know, you talk about, if I had had therapy back then, I would be in that top three players in the, in the NBA because I was right there from all the way from college, from high school to college, to the Olympics, from the Olympics to the ABA. Now, Jamal, let me just say this, brother. In 1970, I was the MVP, the rookie of the year, the leading scorer, leading rebound, and I wasn't getting no penny, penny, penny numbers. I was getting 30 and 20. Mm. And I won all of these awards. And then I went from there to the Supreme Court and still come out and was MVP, uh, not MVP, second run in MVP making. But there was something was told to me by higher up in the NBA. If I wasn't a first team or a second team all, all NBA, 
I would not be on an all-star game because we're going to keep you in your place. So all of these things, I would have had some, some tools to work with. But do you know what I would have been like? I mean, to look back at it as a player and as a person, my personhood was pretty decent. But as a player, I would have excelled so far and so great. So I encourage any player right now, I mean, to look at the current players who have acknowledged, okay, I have, I'm going to see a therapist, uh, DeMar DeRozan, his best season of his life. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Love, I'm, I'm going to get help, mental health. One of his best seasons of his career. I mean, you can just go on through all of the players right now that are seeking that help. So, yeah, Bill, if I had had that opportunity and didn't, it wasn't so much stigma to it at that time as a player, I would be in hog heaven. Well, vegan heaven. <laughs> <laughs> and you see, even now, even now, they still, there's still some, some stigma to it. Oh, it's you, you still, you still got, you still, you know, you got, you got fans out there want to, want to jump on it and, and say these people are weak. And, but meanwhile, like you said, like we, you know, as black people, especially, we're the people that that have been through so much. We and still, you know, dealing with racism every day. We actually need the therapy. We when it's need really, it. So you know, the 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 broader white community, they've already embraced it. They already <laughs> got it and gone. And they like, hey man, I, I didn't. I mean, my parents and my foreparents, and I'm benefiting from all this racism. But I can talk about it. I, I'm good with it. Uh, but we can't go in. If you go in there, boy, what you talking about? You talking about some critical race theory here. You can't right. talk about what we did to you. It's going to hurt right. my little kids. It's going to hurt my my feelings. You know, I didn't have nothing to do with it, but I benefited from it all. Right. You right. know. Yeah. yeah, no, man. It's, but it's it's such a trick box. That, that kind of leads to something else I want I want to get your, your take on, too. This kind of leads into this, too. I've been thinking of uh, something I want to write about. And it just hit me. It's such a dilemma. I thought you was going to write about the Spencer Hayward rule and why it should be changed. Oh, he, he, did, he did. He did it. I actually, I actually wrote a column about that. In fact, if you give me your email address, I'll send you. In, in 2015 or 2016, I wrote a column. I just sent it to Jamal. Okay. I wanted to find because I know I've written columns about you. So no, I, wrote I know a you. I know you. Have. I'm sorry to rub it in. Well, I'm a, but I'm not. But I'm going to send it to you anyway, just so yeah. you know. Okay. But, but my question is. Um, it's this dilemma uh, of of white fans, black players, and it's so bizarre when you look at the NBA. Every you know, the NBA, the NFL, you're at all these stadiums of white fans, and in all these arenas of white fans, and cheering for black players, and you see it at big time football. And I'm just wondering if if it ever occurred to you, like when you go into these, you know, when you're playing. And you look at all these white folks cheering for you, you know, whether, you know, whether you're playing in the ABA, the NBA, NFL, and it just seems so bizarre given whether is, is the arena, the sanctuary and white folks put their put stuff aside. And I was looking just recently, you've had all these incidents in arenas where you've got, you know, white fans throwing stuff with Kyrie, uh, you know, booing and saying things i'm just wondering if you ever had if you ever recognize it or as a black player is the arena a place where 
you know, you don't, uh, you know, you don't really recognize it, that there's sort of like a truce, you know, where white fans could cheer for black players. Where on the outside, some of these same white fans wouldn't give you the time of day, or whether they feel threatened, or if they're guys who are like Republicans or Trump supporters, you know, they they would feel differently about you. What do you think about well, that weird dynamic? Well, it's the sanctuary. It 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 go it go all the way back. To the Roman Colosseum, or maybe even further, if we go back into Egyptian or African history, maybe we could feel a little bit better. But uh, so I'll take what they have written in their books uh, from the Roman Colosseum, from Greek mythology, or whatever. Uh, that has always been the sanctuary, and in the, in the modern day, it's a sanctuary where the fans can let off all of their Forget about everything. I wish we were like this in the world where we could like just set, lay that burden down. You know that gospel song? I'm going to go down, lay my burden down. I'm going to lay my burden down. It seemed like the fans walk into that arena. They lay their burden down. And there's no hate. There's hate for the player and doing all this stuff and a little bit of fighting, knickknacking back and forth. And it's wrapped around the idea that my team is playing your team. I can I can say things and do things to you, uh, but the player in the in the essence the player is feeding off of that because you know I'm not gonna let them break me, man. I'm you ain't breaking me. You ain't gonna make you ain't gonna make me throw me off my game. So you bear down much harder. So it's it's this jousting competition thing that's going on. Testosterone blowing and women screaming at you. You ain't no good. You and so. It, it's the beauty of sports, man. It's the beauty of sports. It is, it is nothing like it. It's nothing like being down on that floor and people yelling and screaming your name out. Not in joy, but in anger. It pumps you up, makes you want to play harder, want to do things and know that you came so far from, say, from Akron, Ohio, struggling and your family struggling. Now you're on top and they screaming your name. Hey, LeBron. You ain't shit. Yes, I am. I did this. I did this, and you got it in your head. You, it's 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 kind of crazy, but this is the American way. You know, this is our brand. You know, we always cheered our athletes, but you can't go into the store. You know, like back in the days when Bill Russell and those guys was winning the championship, we cheer you like a big dog. But then I'll go to your house if you did something wrong and said something. I'll go and shit in your bed. You know, or you can't go into the restaurant. You can't go into the hotel. It's so weird, man. We as Americans, we are the most weirdest people I've ever seen. Not all, because I look at what's going on in Russia and 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 and, and uh, what's going on with these people today. But boy, just think if we could take what's going on on the in the basketball arenas and and in the football field and all of these arenas and let us all be like that, we'll be all right as right. a country. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just, just to let the point go, I was thinking a, a couple of years ago when uh, when uh, POTUS 45 was president, I hate to say his name, when POTUS 45 was president. And, and I mean, to your point, I guess what I'm saying is that you're right, it's a sanctuary, but then when you've got like Kaepernick or black athletes drawing attention to themselves, to their blackness, 
whether yeah. it's Tommy Smith, John Carlos, whether it's Ali, whether it's guys raising their fist in the <laughs> arena, whether it's Spencer, when you when you do something beyond just play, when you play and you're just this black face and you don't say anything, it's fine. But when you draw attention to blackness and race and all that, that's when the sanctuary kind of crumbles and people resent that. They resent the fact that you're making me now think about stuff I wanted to leave behind. You're making me think about injustice, whether you're Kaepernick and kneeling. You're making me think about racism. You're making me think about inequity. You know, how dare you do that? Then all of a sudden, the sanctuary kind of breaks down. I guess that's what I was. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to be a soft peddler. <laughs> but yeah, that that is, you know, as long as you you're good in this place, as long as you stay in your place. Right. And if you this ain't no area where you should bring up racism or the country's history. Are you crazy? This is just a basketball game. Shut right. up and dribble. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. exactly, exactly yeah. the point, yeah. yeah. And do you think, my last point on this before we move out of the racial thing, but that's, again, I wish I didn't think in these terms, but I just do. Uh, do you think, you know, do you think that the great white hope thing is still alive and well in, in the sports arena, particularly when you've got white athletes performing in a, in a setting where, where black athletes dominate? That'd be like the NBA, that'd be the NFL. Do you think there's still a little of the, the great white hopeism? And I, I think, and I hate to oh, it's always, always there because of the fact that if the arena or if the, the stadium is 90,000 people, 10,000 blacks, and I mean, I'm cheering for these black athletes because of my team. I'm just looking from the white standpoint. I'm cheering for these these athletes, but boy, I sure would like to see one of my own out there. I yeah. sure would like to see a Luca Duncan's. Yeah. I sure would like to see a Joker out there. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I, I mean, you got to give me something. Right. <laughs> right. You just right. can't take it all. Your right. brother's taking all of this stuff. Give me somebody. Come on. Right. Let me create somebody. I'll tell you what yeah. I'll do. I'll create me a rocket. Right. Right. If I can't do it in real life, I'm going to create me a rocket. And he'd become the reality. Right. 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 I feel bad, Spencer, because, you know, I cheer for, you know, you can't you can't deny Luka Donage is really good. Bad man. Deny Jockey is bad. But I'm just saying that, yeah, but just how come he just can't be really good? How come you got to then jump from that to like the greatest of all time or, you know, like, okay, this guy is great, but why has he got to be like the greatest of of the whole thing, you know? He's it, the greatest you know. of all time, the greatest to ever play it because he's under the Spencer Haywood rule. <laughs> <laughs> but he is, all, but he is. But yeah, man, they, yeah, just, no, it's, it's all good. they want that well, marketing. They want some people, you know, want the people to believe. And, right. uh, and last year was a good year for uh, the NBA, I know, when, when the Joker won the MVP, it was, you know, it was a lot of fans attracted into the sport and was, whoa, my God, we might have a chance here. These brothers don't have the control of the game anymore. And exactly. so 
So yeah. we're going to bring in our big European players that's been in war-torn countries and shit. They, they just as hard as them blacks. So come on. <laughs> yeah, that's it. yeah, but what about where's the where's the white American ball player? I know now I know you guys are expanding. You just take anybody. What about the white American ball player? You know, well, that's all right. We'll take Dantage and we'll take yeah, but what about the white American player? Yeah, well. The blame, the I'm telling you right now, I'm telling you right now, these guys are training. They they are coming. Mm. They are coming because they they play. And AAU and all all up through with black players, they going to adopt that style and get that toughness of a Jerry West coming out of West Virginia. Right. And they're going to have some kind of toughness, like you know, like Larry Bird, man. Yeah. You you gotta you gotta have some toughness coming out to play against all of these brothers. So those two in particular, you know, coming out and. Just hardcore, and Rick Barry, even though he's from New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. No, well, you yeah. know, no. I'm, I'm just saying, you know, Bill. You know, we were Knicks, and you know, New Jersey. So it was always mm-hmm. we kind of like a little brother, the Nets. Speak, speaking of speaking of today's game, I know. Do you ever do you ever think about how how you would have been in? The player that you were back then, how you would have fit in today's game, and what what are your thoughts on today's game and the rule changes? And we and we and Bill and I were talking about this earlier about you know even even recently in the playoffs you had a, you have these hard you know these so called hard fouls to, in today's game, and 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 Steve Kerr talking about breaking the code and all that kind of stuff. What's your feeling on that? And and how do you feel you you as a player would have been in today's game? God, do you know what it's like to play with nobody hanging on you, nobody grabbing you, nobody's hitting you with the elbow in the mouth, and sometimes ball up their fist and knock you completely out, Mm. and there was no concussion, so you get right (laughs) back in the game. (laughs) You get right back in the game trying to figure out what basket was I in. I don't know. (laughs) So, yeah, it would have been different, but I must say, you know, the evolution of the game, otherwise you would have just had, you know, like Detroit Piston type players, you know, that like bully players. So I kind of want it to, to be a little softer because not that these guys are softer as players, but our society is softer in a sense. So we have to adapt to that. And also we had to get developed a Euro step to allow right. the Europeans to come in and to dominate. Luca couldn't play without that step. Right. He, would be, he would have a hard time getting open without, the, without that step. And so when we played, you, you could play with your hands on a player and mm. you could guide the player, you know, you could, you know, you could grip him. Like Gus Johnson, Dave DeBusher, those guys would just grab me and, and just hat me in my rib. And I'm like, get off, man, turn me loose. Let me turn. Mm. And the referee was like, hey, you got to turn it in your own. I ain't calling no foul here. So, yeah. But, you know, to go back, as, as we've been told about the dog. Right. The dog. If, <laughs> he, he got his tail. You tell the story, Bill. Yeah, this is going to equate to basketball. You don't want to lose your whole head trying to find a little piece of, the, tail. of your tail to pass. Yeah, yeah, so we don't want to do that because right. we can't go back to our old days of basketball, man. We had cigarettes in the locker room. We had 
brown whiskey, scotch and stuff, people taking a good hit before they go back out and have time. We didn't know any better. So the game has evolved into this beautiful thing that I see. I, I know it's a little timid and it's a little different, but it gives everybody a chance to play and it gives the fan the, the enlightenment. And these players, they think they're the greatest that ever played. So uh, <laughs> right. I like it. Yeah, that- and that, I like the attitude. They are the greatest that ever played. <laughs> but I, I, you know, I subscribe to the theory that, and like the great, the greatest of all time, no matter what era you in, you would have, you would have, you would have been great in any era. And it's it's funny to me, like even even the younger ki- uh, kids than me, younger people than me, who never saw Michael Jordan, for instance, mm-hmm. right? And they'll say, oh well, you know. Uh, yeah, the athletes in in today's day and age, he wouldn't have dominated. He wouldn't like he have dominated. dominated. But but isn't it isn't it a testament to how great you are that you are ahead of your time? Yeah. So if you're ahead of your time, if you were ahead of your time in that age, wouldn't you be ahead of your time whenever you whenever you came out? Because you had whenever you, you played, had those but skills the time and will catch up. The time will catch up. Right. Right. Yeah. The time will catch up. You got like, I mean, you got a guy like Michael Jordan playing at that time. I mean, hell, you got a guy six foot eight playing another level. And you got Kevin Garnett, I mean, Durant playing at a, I mean, 6'11", playing at another level. So it's going to, the one guy that I haven't seen anybody duplicate his stuff, and that is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Right, exactly. That's just my thought on it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly. And when you exactly. start talking to goat, I'm like, I, I think I know who the goat is. <laughs> but you can't promote that. You can't promote Kareem. He's seven foot two, got a sky hook, no flash, just get the job done. No, we can't have that as a goat. Come on, we're talking promotion and everything else. Mm. Right. And then Kareem is not gonna play that game. Yeah, ain't you gonna know, play that gonna, game. You ain't gonna like <laughs> you say what? Man, get away from me with that goat shit. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So I got another book to write. I got, I got another, another book to write. Uh, you know, get leave me alone. Right. But he's he's right. softening up now. He's really uh, in a beautiful place. I want him to stay in that place and live his life fully and, yeah. and, you know, just be himself. Because he's a funny dude. Love jazz. We spent so many times in clubs listening to music and hanging out. And I like the person that he's become. He has let people see now. And I think going back to winning time, I think he would be amazed if he watched it. Yeah. He really would. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of, you know, on the winning time thing. And, and there've been so many guys who refuse to embrace it. Like, you know, Kareem magic, West, you know, West trying to take it. He trying to take another case to the Supreme Court. Sounds yeah. like, but um, <laughs> what is it about you? Because, because you, you, it's, you, like you said, there are some inaccuracies about the way they portrayed you. Yeah. They, you know, they, they're, they're showing like some harsh parts of your life. Yeah. You know, they're dramatizing some harsh parts of your life. Why, why are you, you think you're able to, to accept the show for what it is and other people can't? Because I went, to the Supreme Court. So everything from that point on in my career and my life was brutal. And the NBA, the NC2A, all of the leagues 
lied on me, set me up, did all kinds of stuff. So I've seen it all. I've lived it. We were talking about Kurt Flood and myself and Ali. We was living in another world. So you know what's going on. So you can embrace, I mean, the little stuff that they're doing to, to put you down. Because I've been put down all of my career. I mean, put down to like he did. He, if we hadn't never broke that rule, we would have had Michael Jordan for four years. Man, we think about the money we would have made. Uh, we would have had Kevin Durant for three more years. He made me lose all of that money. Uh, yeah, and if there's a problem in the NBA, Spencer is the problem. That's who it is. He's he's the goat, the <laughs> scapegoat, not the other goat. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. So I, I look at that and said, you know, hey, man, you know, I've been there and done that. And that's why I have a lot of years of therapy packed in because I can let it all go. I don't have no, no hold on bars. I don't, I don't, I wasn't a dog looking back over my, trying to find my tail and get hit in my head and knocked off. Because I'm looking at that story and I'm, I'm going to use that story a lot because. You know, trains came. The only thing that was exciting in Silver City, Mississippi, was the train coming through on the tracks. And we had to get off the track. Don't get caught on the tracks. You know, because we always Listen, walked the railroad. Yeah. The, the song, Spencer, I just realized, if you want to check it out on YouTube, it's called uh, Drowning on Dry Land. Okay. By who? By Albert King. Albert King. Okay. Okay. Yeah. okay. Drowning okay. on Dry Land. Uh, she said, uh, uh, it's, a, it's, it's another one of those songs you listen to. The guy said, uh, I think I'm drowning on dry, a crowd of buzzers hang, hanging over me. I think I'm drowning on dry land. He said, that's a bad way to go. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it sounds like a Mississippi songwriter. Yeah, well, Albert King. Albert, you're autumn guy, well, Albert, man. Albert King. Is he Texas or Mississippi? Indianola. Indianola, Mississippi. Oh, well, hell, yeah. <laughs> Albert King is Indianola, Mississippi, is a town above me. Yeah. My town is in Silver City. That's in the Delta. Boy, you come on. <laughs> yeah, man. It's, you know, you, you listen. You listen. Because, you know, it's so funny, man. I know we were trying to wrap up. But they talk about the blues. And it's not till again, me, you get older. And as black folks, you know, I guess is what they used to call depression, you know, and they just call it the blues. You know, so, well, yeah, we always had the fucking blues. You got know, you, blues, can't right? <laughs> you got the blues. You and this is how you deal blues. with the blues. When you couldn't yeah. go to the cotton field, you was like, I got the blues, mama. I can't pick today. Well, you better yeah. get them out of you because you're going to pick the today, son. <laughs> That's right. Suck it up. Well, I need to go to therapy. The Negro, you better get your ass out of the fucking. <laughs> <laughs> I need to. I need. What they, what well, they let me tell y'all uh, one more thing. When, when the first time, first time, you know, like earlier when when I went and first thing and when the first time my therapist said, "Well, you know, you're suffering from PTSD." I said to him, "Man, I check my prostate cancer every year. I check my prostate." <laughs> I thought he was talking about. <laughs> right, right. I thought he was talking about. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> no, I'll leave y'all on that one, man. That's some sick. Yeah. Sick. Hey, Spencer, I guess it's been the great, the great Spencer Haywood. Hey, before we let you go, man, since we're in the philosophy of survival, 
uh, for any young folks who, I asked you earlier, what was the source of your strength back in the day? Today, what's the source of your motivation? The source of my motivation is, you know, I want to help and leave this earth a better place than I, than, than I, than I found it when I was born. So in that pursuit, I'm able to be a chairman of the board for the NBA retired players. I ushered in uh, through the help of LeBron James and all of the other current players. We got a $16 million health insurance now that I can save all of my players' lives. Uh, my wife of 30 years, my children, my grandchildren, all are doing well. Uh, I look at the the health of the NBA, the health of the NBA is just awesome. The players are doing good. Uh, I just want people to understand that we don't have to hold it in. We don't have to die of heart attacks. We don't have to do of these things when you can, when there's help available, there's help out here available. You don't even have to go in to, to see a psychiatrist anymore. You can get it online. You can, you, you need to talk about it. We have the church, the church have, church groups, the mosque have mosque groups. I mean, it's so much help available out here. You got to reach out and get it because we don't have to suffer like this anymore and we can make a change in our lives. And so that's my joy and my words for today is make that change, step up and do what you can. And in the process, uh, I know I'm on the great Bill Roden podcast, but when you get a chance, check out my podcast, the Spencer Hayward Rule podcast. You'll be very enlightened because my first episode was strictly on mental health mm. Mm. where can we find it you can find it on youtube Just jump right on youtube apple all of the, the, the platforms where uh my boy that carry podcast so you can you know it's the, it's the spencer it's the spencer haywood rule podcast yeah the spencer haywood rule podcast yes sir if all you young players do what you can do to promote and get the NBA to change the, the terminology from whatever it is now to the Spencer Haywood rule. Uh, because uh, like you said, every single person who did, who was not forced to do four years in college and was able to jump and, and get on their career owes all to this man. Yeah. Spencer Haywood. The Spencer Haywood rule. You can do it also through the NBA Players Association. You guys are in control of that. All you have to do is just say, no longer is it, is it one and done or early entry, or all these other fictitious names. Our rule is named after our guy who made it possible for me, the Spencer Haywood rule. Thank you very much. Thank, I like Amen. Elvis. Like Elvis. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> hey, brother. Hey, Spencer, thank you so much, man. This has been yeah. This has been wise and worldly. We got in some blues. We got in some history. We got in a whole lot of stuff. That's what a we got in Eddie Harris. And Eddie Harris. That's right. Warm, cool sacks, warm heart. Warm heart. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Spencer, thank you so much, man. God bless you. It's always a pleasure uh, hooking up with you. And, uh, you know, I was just watching the thing today, the episode today, where they were talking about circumcision. And I was like, really? Did that shit really? I know you talked about it. We didn't even talk you know. about it on the show. All we had to do is ask me. I would have gave you a rundown. I'm like, man, it was like almost painful to look at. I'm like, damn, really? <laughs> but if it ain't no doctors, 
Man, yeah. we need to do that segment another time, man, because I got to tell you about circumcision so you can go out and get it done. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah, we have to bring you back for part two, for chapter All right. two. <laughs> All Thanks right, a lot. Thanks so much, man. Thank you, boss. She said, don't rush to be a man, but I went ahead on. And now I'm down. Here we go. Here's where he tells the story. Yeah, my head just lives like a junior in college. Here we go. great conversation good get jamal that was great man spencer's got a lot of oh, stories man, man. Yeah. we might have to have him on a, a couple more times yeah just one segment just for circumcision <laughs> yeah. i was like man that shit was just painful oh, yeah that was painful to listen to <laughs> yeah but uh yeah man so glad you forced me to watch uh winning time though I, again i think the difference between winning time as last dance is michael jordan said i'm yeah. not leaving anything to anybody's interpretation Right. This is my interpretation of my career and my life. Right. And if you want something different than Scotty, you should do your own. You know, right. and anybody who has an objection, do your own. Now I'm thinking all the people mentioned in Winnie Time should have done their own. We'll probably have like now eight, eight shows. You know, the Norm Nixon version, the Kareem, Kareem come out with his version. Right. You know, Jerry West, his version. Yeah, everybody yeah. will That'd have their own version. You know, yeah. and like, like and mag magic is already out. I've watched magics. I, I thought that was great in its own right too. Just like kind of like last dance was, uh, talks about magic from an early age, high school, mm -hmm. how he got his nickname magic. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it even, it even touches on, you know, the women and, and, you know, him uh, catching HIV. So he, he dealt with all his, his issues. Yeah. Um, and I, I thought it was interesting that, uh, Spencer Haywood, you know, he's he, like he said, he's been through so much. He's already had to look back at his life and had to and had to deal with uh, situations that, you know, the highs and the lows of his life. So now when he sees uh, winning time, it, it doesn't really bother him to the extent that these other other people who maybe haven't had to look back at all the negatives and deal with all that, you know, to the point, of, you know, they can't get over it. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was very, very candid. And he says a lot. I was really just intrigued by, you know, we talk about how he survived and went through it when people like, you know, Kurt Flood, and I guess a lot of people in that that generation, the Oscar, we should have Oscar on too, because mm -hmm. Oscar took on the NBA too, mm -hmm. you know. And, um, you know, how do you, you know, there's something to be said for these older guys who, who did like Ali, how did you survive? Right. How did you, because if you do it, if you live long enough, you go between being a rebel, then you become, if you're old enough, you get to be an icon. Right. 
<laughs> right. If you if you make it all the way to the other side, which is tough, right. tough to do. Yeah, you'll be an icon. <laughs> I mean, you got you got you probably Kaepernick will get to that point in like thirty years from now. Yeah, if he lives long enough, by the right. time he's like, you know, in his seventies, right? You know, he's seventies. He'll be now. There'll be statues and shit from exactly, you know? exactly. Yeah, as if as if all these people were on his side. Right. You know, well, I was thinking about Ali. There are people, yeah, Ali, who hated his ass. Right. You know. Right. So, right. but yeah, that's the key thing. If you live long enough, <laughs> that you'll, you'll go from being the the villain where everybody hates to be the icon because that means they can still make money off you know right they can still they can still somehow be enhanced by your shit oh well i'm embracing him you know i'll you know like like the old blues legend they discover them the where the fuck were you like when i really <laughs> needed you you know right, right. so that's the key folks if you live long enough you can go from being the villain to being the icon that's right so eat, eat healthily you know, that's the. That's I mean, the, if you look at what he did, he's made the league billions of dollars oh, by yeah. being able to bring in Kobe and Garnett and Magic and LeBron. You know, it, you know, I mean, he's made the NBA. He's given them excitement. These young players, you know, come on, man. You know, he yeah. made this just like Kurt Flood. They didn't like it, but free agency has <clears throat> has made baseball and all sports what it is. Right. Yep. Man, so just think if Smith and Carlos, if Smith and Carlos had done what they did today, you know, in, in the Olympics, you know, because they would get hits, they would be, they would suddenly become, they would get millions, millions of hits. Right. They would have done that like in the last Olympics. You know, they would be fucking heroes. And then Nike would sign them. I mean, they would just, <laughs> exactly. They exactly. probably have their own TV shows, you know. So. Where it goes. We need we need some more Smith and Carlos event. Come on, guys, step it yeah, up. But now they're going work, in. It'll work out in the long run. Yeah, in the long run. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You gotta, yeah. You gotta have a long run. Yeah. Don't problem. Yeah. Keep listening. Keep supporting. We appreciate it. Uh, of course, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. We're there, um, and we're brought to you by Bet Online. Hey, everybody. Keep safe. You hear me while I'm sneezing and coughing and all that? Because I went through a thing of COVID last month and went over it. But, you know, you still have, they say, sometimes you have a lingering cough. So I say all that to say is stay safe, be smart, you know, keep wearing your mask, even though nobody is. (laughs) But, you know, these things just don't go away. Plagues don't go away like that just because we're inconvenient. So No, I'm about to get my second booster. So you are. How do you do that? You uh, just, just call. Gonna, yeah, I'm just going to show up, make an appointment, or or just show up. You know, they don't turn anybody away. Yeah, I think I should do that. As soon as we hang up, folks, <laughs> I'm going to go online to CVS and right. see where I get my booster shot. You know, fuck whatever else they got. <laughs> yeah. yeah, seriously. I'll take it off. All right, everybody, listen. Stay safe. Keep praying, and God bless.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.